Come on, come all, come gather around. Come hear tales both lost and found. Finally, show not about true crime. It's David and Michael Story Time. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Story Time. I'm David Miller. And I'm stuck at home, Michael Santel. Uh, I mean, I'm also stuck at home. I just don't make it a part of my identity. It's definitely, it's all a part of it. I'm trying this new type of politics. I call it identity politics. <laughs> Ooh, I hope that catches on. I hope it catches on. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, before we begin, we wanted to give a real quick shout out and thank you. We got a, a, a very nice email from uh, Joshua who wanted to write us and let us know that he started listening to our show um, from the beginning, but then kind of fell off of it because he went to college, which is arguably more important than our podcast. That's what happens. I get it. <laughs> I didn't listen to our podcast when I was in college. I That's get true. it. You didn't. And look at you now. Look at me now. Yeah. Homeless and um, uh, unemployed. <laughs> uh, but he did let us know that since the quarantine started and he had a lot of free time, he binged the rest of it the last 50 episodes or so, uh, in like a month. So thank you for that dedication and thank you for listening. <laughs> Listen, you are the closest we're going to get to like AI analytics. Let me know if any trends yeah. pop up. That email itself is the most feedback we've gotten in a very long time. So, so please, if you could do a breakdown, how many ubs, how many fucks, how many times do we say Jesus it Christ? Basically, it feels like we've been shouting into the wind for months, and this is the first time that we maybe heard something that wasn't our own echo. Ooh, no spoilers, though. I wonder if David's going to read a God with the Wind now. <laughs> I'm not. It's a, it's a classic American story. It's yeah, also probably. written by, uh, it's also written by, uh, what's his name? I don't I, think so. I don't know. I don't know his name. Uh, also, I'm probably not going to read it. Okay. <laughs> uh, but today, we are going to continue. I know we started Superman, but we're not, I, I'm not quite done getting my notes together for the end part of Superman. David had to break quarantine, come to my house, get more comic books. He's had a crazy weekend. I, I mean, I was all masked up, and we used hand sanitizer, and we were we good did, about it. Uh, listen, I'm going to let you know that as social visits go, we were very good. We accomplished everything that needed to get done. I'm going to let you know, though, I don't know when the world opens up or how it opens up. When do we take off those masks, David? I don't know. Honestly, not anytime soon. And if in the next week or two, the government is like, go ahead and take them off. I'm going to go ahead and say it for this podcast opinion. Don't take them off. My, my mask just comes with me. I love it. I look yeah. like a makeshift ninja everywhere I go. I'm we so just, happy this happened. We just washed ours yesterday. They're like hang drying right now <laughs> on like yeah, a yeah, bunch yeah. of the cabinets. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, hang them inside because if you hang them outside, they're just corona catchers. Well, not, yeah, and that doesn't do you outside. any good. That's crazy. Uh, but today we are going to continue with more Prince and the Popper uh, to the chagrin of Michael's wife. Don't call her out like that. That was recorded. When she hears this back, she'll know about the shade. Nah, she said she doesn't listen to these episodes. So. Oh, that's right. She doesn't listen. She'll never know. So uh, we are going to continue. We are all... <laughs> oh, she's shit. Here. Now she's here. Oh, no. uh, we are barreling towards the end of The Prince and Popper. We are definitely in the last bits uh, of it. We are on... Every day I text David, I say, do a barrel roll. And he's like, we're barreling closer. <laughs> we're we're almost through. there. Uh, we are on chapter 25 out of, I believe, 33 or so. So we're, we're getting there. I, I assume about two more episodes Listen, of this. So if no you're bored critiques. of Prince... No critiques out of me. I'm enjoying this story. I'm along for the ride. <laughs> me too. It's a good story. <laughs> and if you're still listening to these episodes at this point, you're probably enjoying it as well. So thank you. <laughs> or they're waiting for the, they're waiting yeah. for erotica to start again. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's just see if we can slip in some erotica into this. Okay. That we can't. They're like all children. Uh, so. <laughs> oh, we'll slip it in, David. I guess Don't that technically didn't stop us from the last one. But that... yeah. <laughs> uh, so we are going to start at chapter 25, but do you remember where we left off? It was a couple David, weeks ago. I'm going to let you know, absolutely not. Okay. Like, the faintest thing I remember is I remember asking you, like, oh, now we got to switch back to the king, right? Like, we're going to go back to him and see him? Yes, but we're not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and I feel like I, the last thing I remember is that our prince got saved again, but yeah. then captured again. Yes, so you, if you remember, he was sort of set up by that other boy in the gang. Chauncey, right? Uh, shoot, I can't remember his name. Believe no, his name it, was Chauncey. Chaunceys all sound like assholes. It wasn't Chauncey, but <laughs> I can find it. Um, oh, no, that's fine. I'm. It was Hugo. 
Okay, Chauncey Hugo. Yeah, so Hugo set him up by stealing a bundle from a woman and then shoving it into the kid's arms. And then the oh, that's caught. right. And then the lady had to didn't want the kid. And then it the turned dirty out to be cop. a pig that was worth so much it would have got him killed. Ugh, a pig stealing pigs. And then the guy and then the police officer was like, I got you, lady. You don't want right. to lie. And then, uh, our, and then Miles, friends of Sonic the Hedgehog, Hans the Hedgehog, he showed up and was like, you don't want this to go down on your yeah. permanent. Yep, record yep. and so, so they, then snuck, they snuck out in the night they got out they got out of the prison and the, the guard said he would cover for them by saying that they got broken the door got broken down and then they escaped we're right? never gonna see this place again no i don't i don't think so i don't think we are but that's yeah uh so we are on chapter 25 that's where we left off hendon hall great we're finally there yep we're finally there so I'm going to do a little quick predict. Okay. Uh, do you remember Hendon's story that he gave us when we met him about Hendon Hall and his family? He was the youngest son that didn't want to do something, so he ran away and joined the military. I can't remember was... if he's the youngest, but he he got set up by one of his brothers because a woman, Lady Edith, was, was in love with him, and he was in love with her, but she was promised to another brother, and then the other brother told the dad that... that they were like conspiring to ruin the family and go run away and get married. So he got, Miles got banished from the estate. I remember bringing up the movie Barry Lyndon, so I do faintly remember <laughs> this. And then went into the military, you're right. And it's been years, I think seven or eight years since he was home. Yeah, and he's like finally now, I guess, we don't know what his status in the military was, but whatever. He left it. He's gone. He's done with his service. Yeah. I, I, right. I was going to say he's been honorably discharged yeah. and can say I lived a soldier's life and now I'm back home again. Army stuff. Yeah. And so now he's on his way home. So here we go. Oh, his dad is totally going to be down for like he's going to not he's going to be like what this is a crazy story we got to go back to the city and okay. they're going to like have a big carriage and everyone's <laughs> going to go to the city. That's your prediction? Okay. That's my prediction. Okay, great. As soon as Hendon and the king were out of sight of the constable, his majesty was instructed to hurry to a certain place outside of town and wait there whilst Hendon should go to the inn and settle his account. Half an hour later, the two friends were blithely jogging eastward on Hendon's sorry steeds. The king was warm and comfortable now, for he had cast his rags and clothed himself in the second-hand suit which Hendon had bought on London Bridge. The, the suit that he had brought back that morning when all of this started, when he came back and he was gone, and then the boy was like, I don't know where he's gone. Like, he had a suit for him then. So he's These just are the had cleanest it. clothes he's had in he's a had it this whole These time. These are the cleanest clothes he's seen in a very long <laughs> yeah. time. Hendon wished to guard against overfatiguing the boy. He judged that hard journeys, irregular meals, and illiberal measures of sleep would be bad for his crazed mind, whilst rest, regularity, and moderate exercise would be pretty sure to hasten its cure. Yo, this guy gets mental health. Like, this is all the, <laughs> yeah. Just like his steady routine, like nothing crazy. Like, like, just handle the day. Yeah. He longed to see the stricken intellect made well again and its diseased visions driven out of the tormented little head. Therefore, he resolved to move by easy stages toward the home whence he had so long been banished, instead of obeying the impulse of his impatience and hurrying along night and day. When he and the king had journeyed about ten miles, they reached a considerable village and halted there for the night at a good inn. The former relations were resumed, and Hendon stood behind the king's chair while he dined, waited upon him, undressed him when, uh, when he was ready for bed, and then took the floor for his own quarters, slept athwart the door, rolled up in a blanket. The next day, and the day after, they jogged lazily along, talking over the adventures they had uh, met since their separation. They don't have a horse anymore? What happened to the horse? Well, they jogged along on the sad little horses. Yeah. Got it. Uh, and mightily enjoying each other's narratives. So now they're finally catching up on, like, what happened in all of the time since they got split up. They're doing the Prince of the Popper version of story time amongst yeah. themselves. <laughs> yeah, the king is like, oh, man, I met this crazy group of people. They're like this rabble-rousing, you know, like... And he's like, radical! And I beat the crap out of Hugo. Like, <laughs> Righteous! <laughs> Hendon detailed his wide wanderings in search of the king and described how the archangel had led him on a fool's journey all over the forest and taken him back to the hut, finally, when he found he could not get rid of him. Then, he said, the old man went into the bedchamber and came staggering back, looking broken-hearted, and saying he had expected to find that the boy had returned and laid down in there to rest, but it was not so. Hendon had waited at the hut all day uh, in hope of the king's return. Uh, as hope of the king's return died out, then he departed upon the quest again. An old Sanctum Sanctorum was truly sorry for your highness not come back, said Hendon. I saw it in his face. 
Mary, I will never doubt that, said the king. And then he told his own story, after which Hendon was sorry he had not destroyed the archangel. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. There's that there's a there's a slipping in slipping in another story for a mm-hmm. hot second. During the last day of the trip, Hendon's spirits were soaring. His tongue ran constantly. He talked about his old father and his brother Arthur and told of the many things which illustrated their high and generous characters. He went into loving frenzies over his Edith and was so glad-hearted that he was even able to say some gentle and brotherly things about Hugh. Hugh being the brother that had set him up before. Now, this is Hugh Laurie? Yes. Okay. Played by Hugh Laurie. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Yo, wouldn't it be great to see Hugh Grant brought to you by Hugh Laurie? <laughs> like Hugh like, Laurie doing a Hugh Grant impression? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I bet he's got a pretty good one. I bet he's got a pretty good one. I bet they know each other from way back in the oh, day. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. He uh, dwelt a deal on the coming meeting at Hendon Hall. What a surprise it would be to everybody and what an outburst of Thanksgiving and delight there would be. Oh, they're going to have Thanksgiving? They're going to have American Thanksgiving? (laughs) I know, right? Crazy. It was a fair region, dotted with cottages and orchards, and the road led through broad pasture lands whose receding expanses, marked with gentle elevations and depressions, suggested the swelling and subsiding undulations of the sea. Ooh, it sounds like a perfect countryside to have sport among the (laughs) she-noodles. Yeah, and and the way it makes it go is I think the, the grass is blowing in the wind that makes it kind of look like tides rolling in and out. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind yeah. of a fun visual. This is the wheat part of England. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, just tall green grass all over. Uh, in the afternoon, the returning prodigal made constant deflections from his course to see if by ascending some hill- hillock, he might not pierce the distance and catch a glimpse of his home. At last, he was successful and cried out excitedly, There is the village, my prince, and there is the hall close by. You may see the towers from here, and that wood there, that is my father's park. Ah, now you'll know what state and grandeur be. A house with 70 rooms, think of that, and seven and 20 servants. Prediction, mid-story prediction, the house is gone, everything is gone, everything has been burned to the ground. He's so excited about it, you're feeling now uneasy about getting there, Yeah, I'm feeling way too uneasy about it. (laughs) And seven and twenty servants, a brave lodging for such as we, is it not so? Come, let us speed, my impatience will not brook further delay. All possible hurry was made, still, it was after three o'clock before the village was reached. The travelers scampered through it, Hendon's tongue going all the time. Here is the church, covered with the same ivy. None gone, none added. Yonder is the inn, the old here red lion. Here is the church. Here are, so, here are the steeple. Look over here. <laughs> and yonder is the marketplace. Here is the maypole, and here is the pump. Nothing is altered. Nothing but the people, at any rate. Ten years make a change in people. Some of these I seem to know, but none know me. Uh, I like the idea that the, like, I understand the maypole. Like, I know what that is, but I like the idea that the pump is just a pump. It's just his favorite pump. Yeah. There's my favorite pump. (laughs) Yeah. Although it is notable what he's saying here is he's looking around at the people and he recognizes a number of them, but it's clear that nobody recognizes who he is. Ooh, maybe they're in like Narnia now. It's been 10 years in England. And yeah. That's what happens in England. You've been gone for 10 years. You're dead to everybody. So his chat ran on. The end of the village was soon reached, and then the travelers stuck into a crooked, narrow road walled with tall hedges and hurried briskly along it for a half mile. Then passed into a vast flower garden through an imposing gateway whose huge stone pillars bore sculptor, uh, sculptured armorial devices. A noble mansion was before them. Welcome to Hendon Hall, my king. This is what it says over the PA system? No, that's, what, like... that's what he yelled. <laughs> okay. When got there. Exclaimed Miles. Ah, tis a great day. My father and my brother and the Lady Edith will be so mad with joy that they will have eyes and tongue for none but me in the first transports of the meeting. And so thou sh- thou seem but coldly welcomed. But mind it not, t'will soon seem otherwise. For when I say thou art my ward and tell them how costly is my love for thee, thou'lt see them take thee to their breasts for Miles Hendon's sake and make their house and hearts thy home forever after. Listen, don't worry about it. I'm going to tell them you're my number one. You're gonna, I'm going to tell them you're my ride or die. There, nothing's going to happen mm-hmm, to you. Mm-hmm. The next moment, Hendon sprang to the ground before the great door, helped the king down, and then took him by the hand and rushed within. A few steps brought him to a spacious apartment. He entered, seated the king with more hurry than ceremony, and then ran toward a young man who sat at a writing table in front of a generous fire of logs. Embrace me, Hugh, he cried, and say thou art glad I am come again, and call our father, for home was not home till I shall touch his hand, and see his face, and hear his voice once more. But Hugh only drew back, after betraying a momentary surprise, and bent a grave stare upon the intruder, a stare which indicated somewhat of offended dignity, at first, then changed, in response to some inward thought or purpose, to an expression of marveling curiosity, mixed with a real or assumed compassion. Presently, he said, in a mild voice, 
Thy wits seem touched, poor stranger. Doubtless thou hast suffered privations and rude buffetings at the world's hands. Thy looks and dress betoken it. Whom dost thou take thee t take me to be? Is he a crazy person too, and that's why he knows that you need to have a normal routine? <laughs> take thee, prithee, whom else, uh, for whom else than whom thou art? I take thee to be Hugh Hendon, said Miles sharply. The other continued in the same soft tone. And... Whom dost thou imagine thyself to be? Imagination hath not to do with it. Dost thou pretend not knowest me, knowest me not for thy brother, Miles Hendon? An expression of pleased surprise flitted across Hugh's face, and then he exclaimed, What? Thou art not jesting? Can the dead come to life? God be praised if it be so. Our poor lost boy restored to our arms after all these cruel years. Ah, it seemed too good to be true. It is too good to be true, I charge thee. Have pity, do not trifle with me. Quick, come to the light, let me scan thee well. He seized Miles by the arm and dragged him to the window, and began to devour him from head to foot with his eyes, turning him this way and that, stepping briskly about him and about to prove him from all points he's of gonna view. He's going to grab his fat Robin Williams face, and he's going to pull it <laughs> real back, and he's going to go, Oh, there you are, Peter! <laughs> Whilst the returned prodigal, all aglow with gladness, smiled, laughed, and kept nodding his head, saying, Go on, brother, go on, and fear not, thou'lt find nor limb nor feature that cannot bide the test. Scour and scan me to thy content, my good old Hugh. I am indeed thy old Miles, thy same old Miles, thy lost brother, is it not so? In the movie, in the movie version, he's like pointing to stuff. He's like, do you have the birthmark that looks like a race car? Yeah. Uh-huh. Ah, tis a great day. I said twas a great day. Give me thy hand. Give me thy cheek. Lord, I am like to die of very joy. He was about to throw himself upon his brother, but Hugh put up his hand in descent and then dropped his chin mournfully upon his breast, saying with emotion, Ah, God give his, God of his mercy, give me strength to bear this grievous disappointment. Miles, amazed, could not speak for a moment, then found his tongue and cried out, What disappointment? Am I not thy brother? Hugh shook his head sadly and said, I pray heaven it may prove so, and that other eyes may find the resemblances that are hid from mine. Alack, I fear the letter spoke but too truly. What letter? One that came from over the sea some six or seven years ago. It said my brother died in battle. It was a lie. Call thy father. He will know me. One may not call the dead. Oh no, Dad's dead too! <laughs> dead? Miles' voice was subdued, his lips trembled. My father dead! Oh, this is heavy news. Half my new joy is withered now. Prithee, let me see my brother Arthur. He will know me, and he will know me and console me. He also is dead. Oh no, he died with Dad! God be merciful to me, a stricken man. Gone, both gone. Unworthy, taken, and worthless, spared. In, uh, and spare, worth a spared in me. Ah, I crave your mercy. Do not say the lady Edith is dead. No, no, she lives. Ah, then God be praised. My joy is whole again. Speed thee, brother. She lives with a spear inside of her body. <laughs> Speed thee, brother. Let her come to me. And she say I am not myself, but she will not. No, no, she will know me. I were a fool to doubt it. Bring her. Bring the old servants, too. They will know me. All but, all are gone but five. Peter, Halsey, David, Bernard, and Margaret. <laughs> <laughs> Great five names of people. So there were 27 yeah. servants, and now there are only five. Something happened. Something happened to everybody. Dad is dad dead and, and brother is one. dead. Maybe mm -hmm. some sort of great fire in the Great Hall. And apparently they all think he is dead as well. Yeah, well, a letter came across seas seven years ago, but they didn't have a doggy tag, so who knows who he is. Yeah. So saying, Hugh left the room. Miles stood musing a while and then began to walk the floor, muttering... Oh, you heard my cough. I'm sorry. No, I can literally mute that. In, okay, in great. Sorry. Planet. No, it's fine. I'm afraid uh, to mute things. It ruined everything last time. No, it's fine. It's fine. I had to burp anyway. Get back to it. So saying, Hugh left the room. Miles stood musing a while, then began to walk the floor, muttering, The five arch-villains have survived, and the two and twenty, leal and honest. Tis an odd thing. Did we? Now, I didn't know. Were two of the servants named Lilo and Honest as well? Or those two we missed? <laughs> no. No. So basically what he's saying is, okay, so the five shitty servants we used to have are still here. And the 22 others that were good, honest people are gone. And that yeah. seems like an odd co like uh, coincidence. There was either a burglar or a fire because the five fucking slackers were out back smoking cigarettes and everyone else died. Hmm. He continued walking back and forth, muttering to himself. He had forgotten the king entirely. By and by, his majesty said gravely, and with a touch of genuine compassion, though the words themselves were capable of being interpreted ironically, 
Mind not thy mischance, good man. There be others in the world whose identity is denied and whose claims are derided. Thou hast company. <laughs> it's basically like, dude, welcome to my world. <laughs> welcome to the world of being a crazy king. Ah, my king, cried Hendon, coloring slightly. Do not thou condemn me. Wait, and thou shalt see. I am no impostor. She will say it. You will hear it from the sweetest lips in England. I, an impostor? Why, I know this old hall, these pictures of my ancestors, and all these things that are about us, as a child knoweth his own nursery. Here I was born and bred, my lord. I speak the truth. I would not deceive thee, and should none else believe, I pray thee do not thou doubt me. I could not bear it. So basically... You have to believe me. If no one else does, please, you have to believe me. <laughs> I feel like this brother is going to deny him, even if he truly knows who he is, because he gets the spoils of everything else, right? Like, right? No, nope, you're dead to me. Sorry, I don't believe you. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> I do not doubt thee, said the king, with a childlike simplicity and faith. I thank thee out of my heart, exclaimed Henan with a fervency which showed he was touched. The king added, with the same gentle simplicity, Dost thou doubt me? A guilty confusion seized upon Hendon, and he was grateful that the door opened to admit Hugh at that moment and saved him the necessity of replying. So basically, yeah, Hendon does actually doubt that he's the king. <laughs> but he like, but the king, which is like... The door opened right at the moment, so he's like, oh, I don't have to answer that. Okay, great. Right, uh, <laughs> and I also feel bad for the king that he doesn't understand, like, this is just a good person. He doesn't expect anything out of this. He's just trying to help this poor, sad, crazy fucking kid. Mm-hmm. A beautiful lady, richly clothed, followed Hugh, and after her came several liveried servants. The lady walked slowly, with her head bowed and her eyes fixed upon the floor. The face was unspeakably sad. Miles Hendon sprang forward, crying out, Oh, my Edith, my darling! But Hugh waved him back gravely and said to the lady, Look upon him. Do you know him? Ooh, is, is, is she gonna, I wonder if he married, I wonder if Hugh married her. At the sound of Miles' voice, the woman had started slightly, and her cheeks had flushed. She was trembling now. She stood, stood still during an impressive pause of several moments, then slowly lifted up her head and looked into Hendon's eyes with a stony and frightened gaze. The blood sank out of her face, drop by drop, till nothing remained of the, but the gray pallor of death. Then she said, in a voice as dead as the face, I know him not, and, and turned with a moan and a stifled sob and tottered out of the room. Now, do you believe that? Like, <laughs> No, I don't. Right? I, I, no way. It feels like Maury just said you are not the father, but he's very sure he is the father. <laughs> Miles Hendon sank into a chair and covered his face with his hands. After a pause, his brother said to the servants, You have observed him. Do you know him? They shook their heads. Then the master said, The servants know you not, sir. I fear there is some mistake. You have seen that my wife knew you not. Oh, no! Thy wife! In an instant, Hugh was pinned to the wall with an iron grip about his throat. Oh, thou fox-hearted slave, I see it all. Thou'st writ the lying letter thyself, and that my stolen bride and goods are its fruit. There, now get thee gone, lest I shame mine honorable soldiership with the slang of so pitiful a mannequin. Listen, I don't mind killing peasants if I have to. I'll take that burden on, but I don't want to do it. It's my, my soldiering skills are not even worth killing you with you, and I love the word again, pitiful mannequin. Yeah, he's still going to do it, bro. He's still a murderer guy, okay? He's got certain set of skills. Hugh, red-faced and almost suffocated, reeled to the nearest chair and commanded the servants to seize and bind the murderous stranger. They hesitated, and one of them said, He is armed, Sir Hugh, and we are weaponless. <laughs> Your Majesty, the man has a weapon. This next part is going to be very telling, I think. If you still are like, well, I'm not sure if I believe that Miles is Miles or what if he if he's mistaken. This next part, I think, is really telling in the subtext. So here we go. Uh, armed, what of it? And ye so many? Upon him, I say. But Miles warned them to be careful what they did and added, Ye know me of old. I have not changed. Come on, and it like you. This reminder did not hearten the servants much, and they still held back. So he was basically like, you know who I am. I will fuck you up if you come at me. And they were like, yeah, we said we don't, but we know who this guy is and he will fuck us up. I also wonder if it, uh, they also are, the, you know, the five servants for the old day. Like if he like kicked the servant's ass before, like the servants tried to like gang up on him and he like, he's like, no, 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 he's I'll, good, beat, yeah. I'll beat the shit out of all of you. I've done yeah. it before. <laughs> <laughs> then go, maybe I think at the very least they'd know that he's not one to like bluff like that. Like if he says he'll fight you, he'll fucking fight you. Oh, and I would also assume that uh, when a soldier actually comes back from war, like what are the percentage of chance that people come back from war? 
right? So, like, if yeah. he came back from war, yes, he has he some knows how to fight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He knows how to fight. Then go, ye paltry cowards, and arm yourselves and guard the doors, whilst I send one to fetch the watch, said Hugh. And he turned to the threshold and said to Miles, you'll find it to your advantage to not offend, uh, to offend not with useless endeavors at escape. Escape? Spare thyself discomfort. And that is all that trouble... It, and that is all that troubles the... I know, right? Jesus Christ. Escape. Get it, get it David. Get it. <laughs> Spare thyself discomfort. And that is all that troubles thee. For Miles Hendon is the master of Hendon Hall and all its belongings. He will remain. Doubt it not. So he ain't going nowhere. And that's the end of that chapter. A uh, real interesting predicament. I love Ooh. that uh, our author, uh, uh, what is our author's name? I, Mark I, Twain. Mark Twain. I like that Mark Samuel Twain. Samuel Clements. Thank you. <laughs> I, I fuck up the two all the time. I don't know why. <laughs> I like that Mark Twain has put in our heads this ruse that's going on. Mm-hmm. That Miles called out what the ruse is. We all know what the ruse is. And now we have to find out whether or not it's true and how we can prove it. Also, I love this, again, these little side chapters. Our prince is nothing. He's sitting in a corner. This is no longer his story. We got all this backstory about Miles and everything, and if we spent all this time with Miles and we didn't resolve any of his own arc, he would feel kind of like an empty character, I feel like. So I kind of like that we take this side journey to, like, round out, like, all right, let's figure out Miles' shit and then circle back to fixing our king and popper shit. Okay, so I know that in this chapter, the brother's ruse is going to be up and Edith is going to throw her arms and say, I'm so excited for all this stuff. But mm-hmm. I don't know what is the mechanism that's going to happen that proves his truthness. Yeah. Like, if no one's going to back it up, is there a document? Is there a tapestry? Like, where are we? Does, does a magistrate come? <laughs> I feel like we've done a lot of, like, I feel like we've done a lot of, uh, we've seen a little bits of the court system. Yeah, I the courtroom that, scenes. <laughs> I just feel like we're going to get another courtroom scene. Well, let's find out. Oh, this is chapter 26. Chapter this 26. Chapter, this chapter is called Hendon versus Hendon. Okay, cool. That, that, I would take that title. Chapter 26, Disowned. Okay, this, see, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is Hendon <laughs> disavowing the brother, FYI. Continue. Okay, okay. The king sat musing a few moments, then looked up and said... "'Tis strange, most strange. I cannot account for it. No, it is not strange, my liege. I know him, and this conduct is but natural. He was a rascal from his birth. Oh, I spake not of him, Sir Miles. Not of him? Well, then of what? What is it that is strange? That the king is not missed. How? Which? I doubt I do not understand. Indeed, doth it not strike you as being passing strange that the land is not filled with couriers and proclamations describing my person and making search for me?' Is it no matter for commotion and distress that the head of the state is gone? That I am vanished away and lost? He's finally figuring out that, like, wh- why is no one looking for the missing king? Why does no one think that the king is missing? Yeah, and I don't think he—he's— he, And it's, it, it's, crazy for the, it's crazy that it's taken this long for this to kick in. Mm-hmm. Uh, he needs to understand no one is coming after him. The government <laughs> has moved on. But he doesn't know why, because he doesn't know that the pauper— is being mistaken for him. Oh, interesting. Oh, I never put that together. You're right. Yeah. I guess they're unaware. So of he the just other... assumes that like the popper is gone, and and everyone is just like, I don't know where the king is. Like even so... even worse to know that your throne has been usurped by usurpers. Yeah, but he has no idea. Most true, my king. I had forgot. Then Hendon sighed and muttered to himself, "Poor ruined mind, still busy with its pathetic dream." But I have a plan that shall write us both. This is the king talking again. I have a plan that shall write us both. I will write a paper in three tongues, Latin, Greek, and English, and thou shalt haste away with it to London in the morning. Give it to none but my uncle, the Lord Hertford. When he shall see it, he will know and say I wrote it. Then he will send for me. This is some real smart, real smart, uh, smarty person thing. Like mm-hmm. if you can speak three Greek and what was it? Greek and uh, Latin and English? Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are all educated. This is all romance That's like languages. Only yeah. people of the court know that shit. Right. Yeah. Um, Might it not be best, my prince, that we wait here until I prove myself and make my rights secure to my domains? I should be so much better able then to... The king interrupted him imperiously. Peace! What are thy paltry domains, thy trivial interests, contrasted with matters which concern the wheel of a nation and integrity of a throne? Then he added, in a gentle voice, as if he were sorry for his severity, Obey, and have no fear. I will write thee. I will make thee whole. Yes, more than whole. I shall remember and requite. 
So saying, he took the pen and set himself to work. Hendem contemplated him lovingly a while and said to himself, And it were dark, I should think it was a king that spoke. There's no denying it, when the humor's upon him, he doth thunder and lighten like your true king. Now where he got that trick? <laughs> right. Well, it walks like a duck and talks like a duck. Man, if I could, didn't know any better, I'd say he sounds like a king. See him scribble and scratch away contentedly at his meaningless pothooks, fancying them to be Latin and Greek. And except my wit shall serve me as a lucky device for diverting him from this purpose, I shall be forced to pretend to post away tomorrow on this wild errand he hath invented for me. The next moment, Sir Miles' thoughts had gone back to the recent episode. So absorbed was he in his musings that when the king presently handed him the paper which he had been writing, he received it and pocketed it without being conscious of the act. He didn't even look to make sure that the Greek and Latin, he's like, oh, you and Well, maybe he doesn't writing. speak Greek and Latin. Okay, okay, maybe. I thought, I thought he would maybe have some understanding He's definitely, of it. like, smart and educated and, and of good stock, but maybe he's not so high up that he's learned Greek and Latin, right? Okay. Or maybe some, he, know, he knew some Latin because he bullshitted in Latin to that woman, right? Right, like, just, to, like, listen, I don't so know. So maybe Greek, he does know some. I don't know but, Greek and Latin, but I'm pretty sure I could look at a piece of paper and, like. And recognize Greek and yeah, Latin. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I'm not, I'm not a fucking Rosetta Stone, yeah. okay? I just, I, 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 I without giving any spoilers, because I actually haven't seen this come into play yet, but, um, I think it's important that he was so absorbed in his own thoughts that he just took the letter and put it in his pocket and didn't think about it. Right. Well, it also means that he is unaware of what is in the letter, which means when Hertford reads it, he's going to be like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, so where are we? Uh, pocketed it without being conscious of the act. How marvelous strange she acted, he muttered. I think she knew me, and I think she did not know me. These opinions do conflict. I perceive it plainly. I cannot reconcile them, neither can I, by argument, dismiss either of the two, or even persuade one to outweigh the other. The matter standeth simply thus. She must have known my face, my figure, my voice, for how could it be otherwise? Yet she said she knew me not, and that is proof perfect, for she cannot lie. But stop, I think I begin to see... Peradventure he hath influenced her, commanded her, compelled her to lie. That is the solution. The riddle is unriddled. She seemed dead with fear. Yes, she was under his compulsion. I will seek her. I will find her now that he is away. She will speak her true mind. She will remember the old times when we were little playfellows together. And this will soften her heart. And she will no more betray me, but will confess me. There is no treacherous blood in her. No, she was always honest and true. She has loved me in those old days. This is my security. For whom one has loved, one cannot betray. I love the Bark Twins just saying like, yo, some people are just fucking liars like uh, not not in her case like she's yeah. obviously under discourse but like why is all this happening to me no no your brother is just lying and miles he, even said that he's like he's like this might seem strange to you but that is exactly how he's always been yeah he's just a dirty fucking liar who's just doing liary things <laughs> He stepped eagerly toward the door, and at that moment it opened, and Lady Edith entered. She was very pale, but she walked with a firm step, and her carriage was full of grace and gentle dignity. Her face was as sad as before. Oh, she has two twins? Grace and dignity? Miles sprang forward with a happy confidence to meet her, but she checked him with a hardly perceptible gesture, and he stopped where he was. She seated herself and asked him to do likewise. Thus simply did she take the sense of old comradeship out of him and transform him into a stranger and a guest. The surprise of it, the bewildering unexpectedness of it, made him begin to question, for a moment, if he was the person he was pretending to be after all. The Lady Edith said, Sir, I have come to warn you. The mad cannot be persuaded out of their delusions perchance, but doubtless they may be persuaded to avoid perils. I think this dream of yours hath the seeing of honest truth to you, and therefore is not criminal. But do not tarry here with it, for here it is dangerous. She looked steadily into Miles' face for a moment, then added impressively, it is the more dangerous for that you are much like what our lost lad must have grown to be if he had lived. Heavens, madam, but I am he. I truly think you think it, sir. The question... Ugh. I question not your honesty in that, but I warn you, that is all. My husband is master in this region. His power hath hardly any limit. The people prosper or starve as he wills. If you resemble not the man whom you profess to be, my husband might bid you pleasure yourself with your dream in peace. But trust me, I know him well. I know what he will do. He will say to all that you are but a mad impostor, and straightway all will echo him. She bent upon Miles that same steady look as once more, and added... 
if you were Miles Hendon and he knew it and all the region knew it, consider what I am saying, weigh it well, you would stand in the same peril. Your punishment would be no less sure. He would deny you and denounce you and none would be so bold enough to give you countenance. Most truly I believe it, said Miles bitterly. The power that can command one lifelong friend to betray and disown another and be obeyed may well look to be obeyed in quarters where bread and life are on the stake and no cobweb ties of loyalty and honor are concerned. Which is a pretty, like, backhanded way to say he understands what she's saying. Yeah, and she also said, like, even if everybody, even if you were to, like, shut it from the rooftops, it wouldn't change anything. Well, like, she's even saying, even if you were actually Miles Hendon, and he knew you were, and everyone else knew you were, if he said you weren't, they would all say you weren't. Okay. So you're in the same amount of danger. And then he even said, oh, I must, I believe you. The thing he says that's kind of an insult to her is the power that can command one lifelong friend to betray and disown another and be obeyed, like will definitely work on other people. Like, if yeah. he can make you fucking lie about me, then of right. course he'll make people who depend on him for life. Ooh, how is he going to prove his truthiness? Right? A faint tinge appeared for a moment in the lady's cheek, and she dropped her eyes to the floor, but her voice betrayed no emotion when she proceeded. I have warned you. I must still warn you to go hence. This man will destroy you else. He is a tyrant who knows no pity. I, who am his fettered slave, know this. Poor Miles and Arthur and my dear guardian, Sir Richard, are free of him and at rest. Better that you were with them than that you bide here in the clutches of this miscreant. Your pretensions are a menace to his title and possessions. You have assaulted him in his own house. You are ruined if you stay. Do go. Do not hesitate. If you lack money, take this purse. I beg of you and bribe the servants to let you pass. Oh, be warned, poor soul, and escape while you may. Miles declined the purse with a gesture and rose up and stood before her. Grant me one thing, he said. Let your eyes rest upon mine, so that I may see if they be steady. Now, uh, there, now answer me. Am I Miles Hendon? No, I know you not. Swear it. The answer was low, but distinct. I swear. Oh, this passes belief. Fly, will you waste the precious time? Fly and save yourself. At that moment, the officers burst into the room, and a violent struggle began, but Hendon was soon overpowered and dragged away. The king was taken also, and both were bound and led to prison. Uh, I picture the king, when they come and try to grab him, he goes, no, and just walks, like, just walks in there. <laughs> Don't touch me. <laughs> just. I'm going. I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> He's still a king. He's still got a little bit of dignity. All right. Well, that's the end of that chapter. Ooh. Okay, so now they're going to be in, like, so the dungeon. So it didn't turn out the way you thought. You thought they were just going to expose Hugh and then kind of be done with it. Yeah. But this has proven proven trickier. I, I, I skipped I skipped forward. Okay, so now yeah. we're going to see... Now we're going to see this part. This is the part when Jafar is like, come with me, and he knows a secret exit, and then they go into the <laughs> desert, and they're going to find the Cave of Wonders. Chapter 27. What's the name of this chapter? In Prison. Ugh, okay, I should have guessed that. I would have been where my mind was. If they're in prison, they got to get out of prison. I wonder if any of the prisoners who have been imprisoned by Hugh recognize Miles because they haven't been told he's going to like be thrown in there and a guy's going to be like, oh, is that you? And everybody. <laughs> uh, for those that don't know, when he acted out that prisoner, he was like shackled to the wall. I was shackled to the head. wall. <laughs> And I have a big beard, and my eyes go up. I go, hey, everyone, it's Miles! And then you hear rattle, rattle, rattle. <laughs> the cells were all crowded, so the two friends were changed, chained in a large room where persons charged with trifling offenses were commonly kept. They're in just sort of the holding cell, because all the regular cells are full. Right, right, right. This is where you put drunkards mm -hmm. and town masturbators. Just, you know, the riffraff. They had company, for there were some 20 manacled and fettered prisoners here, of both sexes and varying ages, an obscene and noisy gang. Old, the old masturbators, young masturbators. <laughs> the king chafed bitterly over the stupendous indignity thus put upon his royalty, but Hendon was moody and taciturn. He was pretty thoroughly bewildered. He had come home, a jubilant prodigal, expecting to find everybody wild with joy over his return, and instead he got the cold shoulder and a jail. The promise and fulfillment. And then Miles questioned his reality. Yeah, he, like, he like, had a moment where he's like in the Matrix. He's like, am I in the Matrix? <laughs> Did I wake up in someone else's body? The promise and the fulfillment differed so widely that the effect was stunning. He could not decide whether it was the most tragic or most grotesque. He felt much as a man might who had danced blithely out to enjoy a rainbow and got struck by lightning. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, that's how he feels. It's like he was so expecting something great, and then the worst thing happened. 
Yo, uh, <laughs> I, I picture the rainbow like just being like, like it's making that face. There's like electricity coming off. The of it. rainbow wasn't struck by lightning. The man going to enjoy the rainbow was struck by lightning. No, I picture a rainbow being hit by electricity. Like, <laughs> but gradually, his confused and tormenting thoughts settled down into some sort of order, and then his mind centered itself upon Edith. He turned her conduct over and examined it all in, in all lights, and he could not make anything satisfactory out of it. Did she know him, or didn't she know him? It was a perplexing puzzle and occupied him a long time, but he ended finally with the conviction that she did know him and had repudiated him for interested reasons. He wanted to load her name with curses now, but this name had been so long sacred to him that he found he could not bring his tongue to profane it. Wrapped in prison blankets and a soiled and tattered condition, Hendon and the king passed a troubled night. For a bribe, the jailer had furnished liquor to some of the prisoners. Uh, prison blankets sound fucking better than anything that Popper slept with back in his hometown. <laughs> prison Maybe. blankets sound like a luxury item compared mm-hmm. to what like being poor is like. For a bribe, the jailer had furnished liquor to some of the prisoners. Singing of ribald songs, fighting and shouting and carousing was the natural consequence. At last, while a while after midnight, a man attacked a woman and nearly killed her by beating her over the head with his manacles before the jailer could come to the rescue. The jailer restored peace by giving the man a sound clubbing about the head and shoulders. Then the carousing ceased, and after that, all had the opportunity to sleep who did not mind the annoyance of the moanings and groanings of the two wounded people. How crazy is it that jail has just always been corrupt? If you can pay Mm -hmm. off a guard, you can get drunk. Like, isn't this the same problem we have? Like, how's all this opium getting in here? The guards. Someone paid a guard a ton of money. Yeah. During the ensuing week, the days and nights were of a monotonous sameness as to events. Men whose faces Hendon remembered more or less distinctly came by day to gaze at the imposter and repudiate and insult him, and by night the carousing and brawling went on with a symmetrical regularity. However, there was a change of incident at last. The jailer brought in an old man and said to him, The villain is in this room. Cast thy old eyes about and see if thou thou canst say which is he. Hendon glanced up and experienced a pleasant sensation for the first time since he had been in the jail. He said to himself, This is Blake Andrews, a servant all his life in my father's family, a good, honest soul with a right heart in his breast. That is, formerly, but none are true now. All are liars. This man will know me and will deny me like the rest. The old man gazed around the room, glanced at each face in turn, and finally said, I see none here but paltry knaves, scum of the streets. Which is he? The jailer laughed. Here, he said, scan this big animal and grant me an opinion. The old man approached, looked Hendon over long and earnestly, then shook his head and said, Mary, this is no Hendon, nor ever was. Right, thy old eyes are sound yet, and I were Sir Hugh, I would take the shabby Carl, and the jailer finished by lifting himself a tiptoe with an imaginary halter, at the same time making a gurgling noise in his throat suggestive of suffocation. The old man said, uh, so basically the jailer's like, oh, and if I were the guy, you know, Hugh Hendon, I would, uh, you know, like, hang the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for those of you at home, David put a big noose around his neck and then pulled it up himself to look like some sort of comical. I yeah. did what literally Mark Twain described the jailer yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you look like <laughs> some sort of comical skeleton, David. The old man said, vindictively, let him bless God and he fare no worse. And I had the handling of the villain he should roast, or I am no true man. The jailer laughed a pleasant hyena laugh and said, Give him a piece of thy mind, old man. They all do it. Thou find it a good diversion. Then he sauntered toward his anteroom and disappeared. The old man dropped on his knees and whispered, God be thanked, thou art come again, my master. I believed thou wert dead these seven years, and lo, here art thou alive. Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness gracious. Here we go. (laughs) This is what we've been waiting for. He had to wait till the jailer left again so he could talk to him truly. I knew thee the moment I saw thee, and main hard work it was to keep a stony countenance and seem to see none here but tuppenny, and, tuppenny knaves and rubbish of the streets. I am old and poor, Sir Miles, but say the word and I will go forth and proclaim the truth, though I be strangled for it. No, said Hendon, thou shalt not. It would ruin thee and yet help but little in my cause. But I thank thee, for thou hast given me back somewhat of my lost faith in my kind. The old servant became a very valuable to Hendon and the king, for he dropped in several times a day to abuse, quote-unquote, the former, and always smuggled in a few delicacies to help out the prison. Uh, I'm here to abuse him. I'm going to throw apples at you now. And then he just gives him an apple, right? (laughs) Okay, for my next abuse, I call this baguette in the eye. (laughs) 
for my final abuse, my worst abuse, I call this apple juice in a cup. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, is this abuse? Yeah, it's abuse. Yeah, it's, it's abuse because he like insults him while he gives it to him or something. Yeah, right? I bet that apple juice is too sugary for you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he smuggled in a few delicacies to help out the prison bill affair. He also furnished the current news. Hendon reserved the dainties for the king. Without them, his majesty might not have survived, for he was not able to eat the coarse and wretched food provided by the jailer. Andrews was obliged to confine himself to brief visits in order to avoid suspicion, but he managed to impart a fair degree of information each time. Information delivered in a low voice, for Hendon's benefit, and interlarded with insulting epithets delivered in a louder voice for the benefit of other hearers. Super, super funny. I already had the idea in my head that when he was telling him the truth, like, the guard would peek back in. So he'd, he'd have, have to be, be like, like ah, he'd be like, Lord, I'm so happy you're here. This, these past seven years have been horrible because your face is so ugly. But now <laughs> yeah. that you're like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's exactly the way that yeah. it plays out. Yeah. So little by little, the story of the family came out. Arthur had been dead six years. This loss, with the absence of news from, uh, from Hendon, impaired the father's health. He believed he was going to die, and he wished to see Hugh and Edith settled in life before he passed away. But Edith begged hard for delay, hoping for Miles' return. Then the letter came, which brought the news of Miles' death. The shock prostrated Sir Richard. He believed his end was very near, and he and Hugh insisted upon the marriage. Edith begged for and obtained a month's respite, then another, and finally a third. The marriage then took place by the deathbed of Sir Richard. Oh. It had not proved a happy one. Yeah. It was whispered about the country that shortly after the nuptials, the bride found among her husband's papers several rough and incomplete drafts of the fatal letter. Oh, she knows the truth! She knows the truth! Mm -hmm. And had accused him of precipitating the marriage, and Sir Richard's death, too, by a wicked forgery. Tales of cruelty to the Lady Edith and the servants were to be heard on all hands, and since the father's death, Sir Hugh had thrown off all soft disguises and become a pitiless master toward all who in any way depended upon him and his domains for bread. We gotta so, fucking liberate these people. Yeah. He straight up, like, beats the servants and his wife, for sure. Well, and, and it's... Now, I mean, we, so many things have just come to light. But the fact is, basically everybody knows. Every, everyone is aware. Everyone knows, that, but no one will say anything. It's all rumor. No one can prove it. Right. I guess except Lady Edith, maybe. Who completely, and the five fuck, no, no, no. The five old servants and, the five servants, and Edith sure. know exactly what the fuck is going on. Yeah. So is this old man who doesn't work there anymore. So I guess there were six servants that. Well, this is what the old man has heard. This is what right. he understands. Okay. And, and I'm sure what he believes to be true. That's also, fine. Okay. Right? There was a bit of Andrew's gossip which the king listened to with a lively interest. There is a rumor that the king is mad, but in charity forbear to say I mentioned it, for tis death to speak of it, they say. Oh shit, the king is mad! That's true! <laughs> this is real! His majesty glared at the old man and said, The king is not mad, good man, and thou find it to thy advantage to busy thyself with matters that nearer concern thee than this seditious prattle. What doth the lad mean, said Andrews, surprised at this brisk assault from such an unexpected quarter. Hendon gave him a sign, and he did not pursue his question, but went on with this budget. The late king is to be buried at Windsor in a day or two, the 16th of the month, and the new king will be crowned at Westminster on the 20th. Methinks they must need find him first, muttered his majesty, then added confidently, but they will look to that, and so shall I. You know how, they, you know how there's that SNL sketch where they make fun of L.A.? Because everyone mm -hmm. talks about directions and shit like mm -hmm. that. I feel like old-timey England is the is the old-world version of L.A. Because I don't know any... I don't know where any of these places are, but all the time I hear about Westminster, London Bridge. Yeah. yeah, these are all just places. <laughs> People talk about this shit. I don't know what it means. But the old man got no further. A warning sign from Hendon checked his remark. The, he resumed his thread of the gossip. Sir Hugh goeth to the coronation, and with grand hopes, he confidently looketh to come back a peer, for he is high in favor with the Lord Protector. What Lord Protector? asked his majesty. His grace, the Duke of Somerset. What Duke of Somerset? Mary, there is but one, Seymour, Earl of Hertford. The king asked sharply, since when is he a duke and Lord Protector? <laughs> what the hell is going on? <laughs> since the last day of January, and prithee who made him so? Himself and the great council, with the help of the king. His majesty started violently. The king, he cried. What king, good sir? 
What king indeed? God of mercy, what aileth the boy? Sith we have but one, tis not difficult to answer, his most sacred majesty, King Edward the Sixth, whom God preserve. Yea, and a dear and gracious little urchin he is too, whether he be mad or no, and they say he mendeth daily. His praises are on all men's lips, and all bless him likewise, and offer prayers that he may, he may be spared to reign long in England. For he began humanely with saving the old Duke of Norfolk's life, and now he is bent on destroying the cruelest of all laws that Harry and a the people. What if this kid was like, oh, that guy, I was trying to get that guy dead for years. What do you mean? That, <laughs> that was the kid's one beef. He's like, when I get king again, that guy's getting it. This news struck the ma his majesty dumb with amazement. And so like, basically this is the first time the king is hearing like, there is a king like working right now and they think it's him. How, cra so, like, how crazy that he did it. I mean, I guess he was in peril for his life. He wouldn't for a have heard of any of this before. Right. He was out in the countryside, but like, yeah, he's like th finally thinking about it. Yeah. It took a long time. Good and job. These aren't going to like be up to date on the political like news, right? Right. Like, um, this news struck his majesty dumb with amazement and plunged him into so deep and dismal a reverie that he heard no more of the old man's gossip. He wondered if the, quote, little urchin was the beggar boy whom he left dressed in his own garments in the palace. It did not seem possible this could be, for surely his manners and speech would betray him if he pretended to be Prince of Wales. I thought the same thing when he said little urchin, that it was like, oh, does he, how do, is this like a, a rumor or anything like that? But it just, I think it's a play yeah, of words. it's just a little, yeah. Yeah. Then he would be driven out, and the search made for the true prince. Could it be that the court had set up some sprig of nobility in his place? No, for his uncle would not allow that. He was all-powerful and could, could and would crush such a movement, of course. The boy's musings profited him nothing. The more he tried to unriddle the mystery, the more perplexed he became. Which I like. He gets more and more confused the more he thinks about it, but he had it right the first time. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The more his head ached and the worse he slept. His impatience to get to London grew hourly, and his captivity became almost unendurable. Hendon's arts all failed the king. He could not be comforted, but a couple of women who were chained near him succeeded better. Under their gentle ministrations, he found peace and learned a degree of patience. He was very grateful and came to love them dearly and to delight in the sweet and soothing influence of their presence. He asked them why they were in prison, and they said they were Baptists. He smiled and inquired, Is that a crime to be shut up for in prison? Now I grieve, for I shall lose ye. They will not keep ye long for such a little thing. They did not answer. Something in their faces made him uneasy. He said eagerly, You do not speak. Be good to me and tell me. There will be no other punishment? Prithee, tell me there's no fear of that. They tried to change the topic, but his fears were aroused and he pursued it. Will they scourge thee? No, no, they would not be so cruel. Say they would not. Come, they will not, will they? The women betrayed confusion and distress, but there was no avoiding an answer, so one of them said, in a voice choked with emotion, Oh, thou break our spirits, thou gentle spirit! God will help us to bear our... It is a confession, the king broke in. Then they will scourge thee, the stony-hearted wretches, but oh, thou must not weep. I cannot bear it. Keep up thy courage. I shall come... I shall come to my own in time to save thee from this bitter thing, and I will do it. It's about to get fucked up. When the king awoke in the morning, the women were gone. They are saved, he said joyfully, and then added despondently, They're not saved. But woe is me, for they were my comforters. Each of them had left a shred of ribbon pinned to his clothing in token of remembrance. He said he would keep these things always, and then it, soon he would seek out these dear good friends of his and take them under his protection. Just then, the jailer came in with some subordinates and commanded the prisoners be conducted to the jail yard. The king was overjoyed. It would be a blessed thing to see the blue sky and breathe the fresh air once more. He fretted and chafed at the slowness of the officers. He's going to see turn... their heads on pikes with little ribbons coming out of their mouths. His turn came at last, and he was released from his staple and ordered to follow the other prisoners with Hendon. The court or quadrangle was stone-paved and open to the sky. The prisoners entered it through a massive archway of masonry and were placed in file, standing with their backs against the wall. A rope was stretched in front of them, and they were also guarded by their officers. It was a chill and lowering morning, and a light snow which had fallen during the night whitened the great empty space and added to the general dismalness of its aspect. Now and then, a wintry wind shivered through the place and sent a snow eddying hither and thither. In the center of the court stood two women chained to posts. A glance showed the king that these were his good friends. He shuddered to himself and said, Alack, they are not gone free as I had thought. To think that these should know the lash in England. Aye, there's the shame of it. Not in heatheness. Christian England. 
They will be scourged, and I, whom they have comforted and kindly entreated, must look on and see the great wrong done. It is strange, so strange that I, the very source of power in this broad realm, am helpless to protect them. But let these miscreants look well to themselves, for there is a day coming when I will require of them a heavy reckoning for this work. For every blow they strike now, they shall feel a hundred then. A great gate swung open, and a crowd of citizens poured in. They flocked around the two women and hid them from the king's view. A clergyman entered and passed through the crowd. He was also hidden. The king now heard talking back and forth, as if questions were being asked and answered, but he could not make out what was said. Next, there was a deal of bustle and preparation, and much passing and repassing of officials through that part of the crowd that stood on the further side of the women. Whilst this proceeded, a deep, whilst this proceeded, a deep hush gradually fell upon the people. Now, by command, the masses parted and fell aside, and the king saw a spectacle that froze the marrow in his bones. They're gonna die. I know that they're gonna die. It's so sad. I feel like this is what we're building up for. There's nothing he's gonna be able to do. ...had been piled about the two women, Why and a kneeling man... Why did they bring them into this? What <laughs> God are they damn it. No, we're not. I, I refuse to let this... Because <laughs> now that you made that joke, I have to bleep the word. <laughs> That's fine. Bleep away. And a kneeling man was lighting them. The women bowed their heads and covered their faces with their hands. The yellow flames began to climb upward among the snapping and crackling and wreaths of blue smoke to stream away on the wind. The clergyman lifted his hands and began a prayer. Just then, two young girls came flying through the great gate, uttering piercing screams and threw themselves upon the women at the stake. Instantly, they were torn away by the officers, and one of them was kept in a tight grip, but the other broke loose, saying she would die with her mother, and before she could be stopped, she had flung her arms about her mother's neck again. She was torn away once more, and with her gown on fire. Two or three men held her, and the burning portions of her gown were snatched off and thrown flaming aside. She, struggling all the while to free herself, and saying she would be alone in the world now, and begging to be allowed to die with her mother. Both the girls screamed continually and fought for freedom, but suddenly this tumult was drowned under a volley of heart-piercing shrieks of mortal agony. Yo, our fucking story just took a hard right turn, David. This is brutal. The king glanced from the frantic girls to the stake, then turned away and leaned his ashen face against the wall and looked no more. He said, That which I have seen in that one little moment will never go out from my memory, but will abide there, and I shall see it all the days and dream of it all the nights till I die. Would God I had been blind. Hendon watched the king and said to himself with satisfaction, His disorder mendeth, he hath changed and groweth gentler. What if Hendon, what if Hendon turned to him and was like, Well, those, at least those women got what they deserved. <laughs> yeah, that would be awful. <laughs> oh, the Baptist ruining everything around here. If he had followed his want, he would have stormed at these varlets and said he was king and commanded that the women be turned loose and unscathed. Soon his delusion will pass and be forgotten and his poor mind will be whole again. God speed the day. That same day, several prisoners were brought in to remain overnight who were being conveyed under guard to various places in the kingdom to undergo punishment for crimes committed. The king conversed with these. He had made it a point from the beginning to instruct himself for the kingly office by questioning prisoners whenever the opportunity offered, and the tale of their woes wrung his heart. One of them was a poor half-witted woman who had stolen a yard or two of cloth from a weaver. She was to be hanged for it. These are all just prison stories. Yeah, you're going to hear about the saddest, hungriest people. Who he's like he's like making the point to find out what the, ha is happening with the law in his country, right? Mm -hmm. Another was a man who had been accused of stealing a horse. He said the proof had failed, and he imagined that he was safe from the halter, but no. This story he is a little bit like an, uh, a CBS's undercover boss. Yeah, like He's yeah. like finding out how the sausage gets made in his country. Yeah. Uh, so a man had been accused of stealing a horse, the proof had failed, and he thought he was safe from the halter, but no, he was hardly free before he was arraigned for killing a deer in the king's park, and this was proved against him, and now he was on his way to the gallows. There was a tradesman's apprentice whose case particularly distressed the king. This youth said he found a hawk one evening that had escaped from its owner, and he took it home with him, imagining himself entitled to it, but the court convicted him of stealing it and sentenced him to death. The king was furious over these inhumanities and I wanted Hendon... I can't believe that this is the first story that I didn't predict that there'd be a hawk in it. I should have... <laughs> I should have known. There's so many hawks in our stories. <laughs> he wanted Hendon to break jail and fly with him to Westminster so he could mount his throne and hold his scepter in mercy over these unfortunate people and save their lives. Poor child, sighed Hendon. These woeful tales have brought his malady upon him again. Alack, for his, this evil hap, he would have been well in a little time. Among these prisoners was an old lawyer, a man with a strong face and dauntless mien. 
Three years past, he had written a pamphlet against the Lord Chancellor, accusing him of injustice, and had been punished for it by a loss of his ears in the pillory, and degradation from the bar, and in addition had been fined 3,000 pounds and sentenced to imprisonment for life. Later, he had repeated his offense, in consequence was now under the sentence to lose what remained of his ears, pay a fine of 5,000 pounds, be branded on both cheeks, and remain in prison for life. These be honorable scars, he said, and turned back his gray hair and showed the mutilated stubs of what had once been his ears. Oh. The, the king's eyes burned with passion. He said, none believe in me, neither will you. But no matter, within the compass of a month, thou shalt be free. And more, the laws that have dishonored thee and shamed the English name shall be swept from the statute books. The world is made wrong. Kings should go to school in their own laws at times and so learn mercy. To be continued. Oh, man. Okay. There's so much... There's so much that needs to happen. That whole chapter was just the king starting to really understand, like, the bullshit laws that are going on. Like, And I also wonder if it's Mark Twain critiquing the old world. I'm sure. I mean, he's been doing that a lot. Even at points in this book when he talks about, like, not like now in our enlightened time, but back right. then they had to, you know what I mean? Right. And just like, just all of like the moral critiques on like people a hundred years. I mean, yeah. probably maybe a little bit more, but like, okay. I think he's setting the story about 200 years before, or no, because this is back in the, I don't know, two, 400 it's years fine. before it's him. It's totally know, fine. Yeah. Man, things are heating up. Okay, we got to get out of jail. We got to yep. prove Miles' truth. We got to get back to the big city. We got to let everyone know. We got to right all the wrongs. There's so mm-hmm. much left to do. Yep. And also, we got to do it. We've now been given a time limit because the king is being buried on the 16th. He's got to do it by the end of the week. He's got to get this tw- shit and going. And on the 20th, the new king is being crowned. So he's got to get there by the 20th. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, listen. How much do you want to bet? I haven't read it yet. But how much do you want to bet that, like... It literally takes place at the coronation ceremony. Like, stop this ceremony! I'm the true king! Blah, 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 blah. You know? I think we're going to get... Miles is going to get back his throne of power. And once he mm-hmm. does that, a ton of resources are going to open up to them. Mm-hmm. How they then get... I mean, they're gonna. he's going to be invited. They're going to get the letter. To yeah, Miles from. is going to be invited. The letter thing has to... Oh, I forgot about the letter thing. The yeah. letter thing has to happen. And then the king has to, like, pardon... A million people. Like he's got, <laughs> right, he's got he to, part- to pardon a bunch of people, and then he also has to like convict a bunch of people who did bullshit to him. See, like- but like, <laughs> but like, I feel bad for the people. Like some of the people in the palace, I feel are going to get the death penalty that maybe don't like they didn't do anything wrong. They didn't know any better. Well, if we've been learning anything, both of our our king and fake king are very let's not murder people minded like or at least they're moving that way right mm, i don't know i've now been molested in the countryside by te- terrible ruffians maybe some people deserve <laughs> some justice maybe maybe okay okay good i mean he did, we literally just heard the king talk about how he thinks now that kings need to learn mercy yeah, absolutely i will tell you though in the kids version of this movie maybe we just sort of downplay the burning at the stake of the women and their daughters who are screaming to be burned with them, otherwise they'll be alone in the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a very brutal scene. I mean, I guess this wasn't considered a kid's story. I've been no. thinking it's a kid's story. That's a very, that's a very brutal turn. Yeah. For, yeah. No you kept point- saying, like, like, and I love how it keeps building it of, like, how he's like, oh, well, if you're just a Baptist, they'll let you go soon. And the women, like, are kind of like, uh, this yeah. Would, this, would, this would be, like, at the end, this would be, like, in the movie Charlotte's Web if eventually they take a hard turn at, like, the meat industry. And yeah. we're like, <laughs> well, we that see, was some pig. Mm, what happens to the other pigs? Like some pig. Yeah, and then we watch <laughs> the pigs get slaughtered. It'd be awful. All right, well... That was sort of a recap. Let's just do some real quick lessons. Lessons. Uh, listen, you need to keep identifications on your hawks, right? Because if you don't, <laughs> you're going to be accused of stealing hawks, and that's not good for anybody. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You got to keep your dog tags. Like, you got to do something that just proves who you are because this is this is a bad situation you gotta this is happened twice now the two people in the story of yeah. they're not believing their identities if you have over 20 servants at least five of them are gonna be bullshit yep yep listen i think this is true of any <laughs> workforce like whatever that percentage is one fourth of your workforce could just do better right? 
Like even the the cast of The Office has a creed, right? Like oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Every group has a creed. Yeah. Um, get to know your neighbors. Talk with the other inmates. You know what I mean? Okay. You're gonna find yeah. out. Which it also did... could be turned into the lesson of hey, find out people's stories because judging them just by why they're in jail or why they like isn't necessarily the way to go. Yeah, and then I guess lastly, you know. Catholicism is the true religion. You got to burn all those that don't practice the true faith. (laughs) I just feel like, you know, I feel like that's something I've always believed in. I'm glad this story reflects my beliefs. Now, do you mean Catholicism or the Church of England? Oh, great question, David. I will not answer that here. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know the rules of these people getting burned. I don't need to get burned. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's it. So we are, we are getting there. We are maybe two episodes from being done with the story. I'm really excited. I'm real excited. You know what I'm most excited for? I'm excited for our real prince to just sleep in a feather, like a big feathery bed. That's yeah. really... The one thing I'm really hoping for is that the popper is, like, made whole. But obviously he will be, I'm sure. But, like, like if, if everything gets returned to, like, the king got to be the real king again. And he was merciful for then on. And everyone's like, yay! And the pauper went back to his life. It's no, like, well, I, fuck. I, I think the pop, I think Miles is going to adopt the pauper. I feel like yeah. Miles is like... You ex- know what? I didn't even think about... So we saw the pauper's dad in that group of ruffians, right? Yes. But we didn't see his sisters and mother. No, we haven't. And, and grandma. Grandma's somewhere in the fucking world, too. Well, uh, fuck grandma. But, like... But, like, sister and mothers need to be reunited, I think, with him at some point. I think, listen, I think you're right. I think that we're going to have a series of sweeping declarations and everyone's going to be in one big room together. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And over in the corner was his mother and his sister. Like, I think it's all going to play out all at once. Yeah, I think so. Listen, we, we you catch a wave and you're sitting on top of the world, man. We're at the top of that wave. We got to ride this back to the shore and see what's going to yep. happen. Yep, I'm excited. Well, thank you for sharing more Prince and the Popper with me. You got it. Uh, and if you want to write us, send us an email. Then we'll talk about you on the air. But always yeah, say nice like things. like Joshua. Yeah, just <laughs> be like Joshua. Yeah, uh, so that's it, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. This has been Storytime. I'm David Miller. And I'm at home, quarantined Michael Santel, because <laughs> that's my identity. And we'll You're see everybody next time. <laughs> okay, bye. Okay, bye. That's our show. Thanks for coming round. Don't be sad. No need to frown. We'll have more stories. Don't throw a fit. Goodbye, one and all. And we'll see you in a bit.